G'day folks, welcome to the Finance Hour. Whether you're listening live on Jair or on the podcast, this is the show where we help make sense of the world of business and finance and hopefully help you uh, make some better decisions, get some tips and tricks to get ahead. My name's Ruben Zelwa. I've been doing this podcast for a while. You can find us in all the usual podcast places like iTunes, Stitcher, uh, Spotify, You can also go to the website Adapt Wealth, my business website, and all the podcasts are on there as well. So today in the studio, we have with us uh, Yoni Paluch. Yoni is a uh, a customer experience specialist. Uh, Most recently, he's been working at Telstra. And from what I understand, customer experience specialists make uh, any interaction with any business uh, more effective and hopefully customer-centric, which makes you want to do business with them more. So I think this is going to be an interesting discussion. It's something that can relate to any business. We're all customers of of, uh, of some business and uh, and you, know, you may have a business yourself and any way in which you can uh, you know make your customers more loyal is going to be great. So uh, Yoni's with me right here. Yoni, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Ruben. It's a pleasure to be here. All right, great. Well, Yoni, uh, you've uh, told me that you're a customer experience specialist, but I'm I don't think at university there was any customer experience specialist degrees or courses. So do you want to just give us a bit of background, what you studied and sort of how you got into what you're doing? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I studied a, a Bachelor of Business Systems at Monash University. Um, yeah. And as part of that, I was on the industry-based learning scholarship. So I was able to work uh, at GE Capital Finance and yeah. IBM during my degree. Yeah. Um, and that really concentrated on commerce and IT. So yeah. No, nothing about the customer that sort of came later in life yeah. uh, when I started at Telstra. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. And uh, so after you, uh, so how long was that degree? Three or four years? So it was a three-year degree. Yeah. Three years. So you, so you had uh, experience in, in commerce, and and so your IT skills were they sort of technical IT skills like programming and all that sort of stuff, or more? Conceptual? Yeah. So it actually was a really interesting degree because it mixed the the technical, yes, you could, the visual basic and the COBOL programming, yeah, yeah. The, the really old school, um, with really what you need to know. Everyone at that stage in the early 2000s, it was all about uh, technology and how IT yeah. can help businesses. Yeah. So it really married the two IT yeah. and business up. Yeah. Yeah, I did a uh, well, I did like a commerce degree, but at one point I did like an extra subject in, in uh, I think it was in VB, Visual Basic, yeah, <laughs> something like that. And I lasted like well, the course was like twelve weeks, and I lasted about two weeks, <laughs> and I just like thought, oh, this is too hard. But um, yeah, that's great. So uh, so after you finish, yeah, so you, I mean, you've had a long career at Telstra until recently, but after you finished uni, where was your first job? So I did the graduate program at Coles Group which oh, yeah. was really interesting. And that sort of um, uh, really uh, dealt with customers en masse with the Coles Supermarket. That was back when it was Coles Supermarkets, Kmart, yeah, Target, yeah. Um, First Choice Liquor. Yeah. Um, so across the retail spectrum. Yeah. Um, so I did the graduate program there and then moved into the uh, business analyst space. Yeah. Um, which was really focused on in you know, the discounting strategies and essentially um, how to get customers to buy more. So is that what a business analyst is? Because analyst is one of those sort of terms that, like, it seems to me like can be absolutely anything. A business analyst sounds so 
generic. You yeah. never quite know what it means. No, it's absolutely <laughs> generic. And you do, and you have those business analysts on an IT side that would yeah. focus purely on programming and systems-based analysis. Um, mine was more on the business side, so it was it was analyzing customer data, analyzing yeah. um, customer purchasing trends, yeah. and then uh, giving recommendations as to what we can do as a business um, yeah. to target certain customer groups. And so as that... Um in terms of, I mean, data that's collected on customers, I mean, obviously, you know, on the online space, you know, when you're buying online, it's really easy to track what people are doing. Yeah. You know, there are all these bots and I don't know what yeah. they're called, like where they check what website you've gone to and the other. <laughs> Absolutely. But, but over the years of your career, have you noticed is like the data that's available like much more than it is? Is it analyzed much more? Yes, significantly more now. So back when I started, the, the real data they received was from loyalty programs. So right. when you signed up to Flybys, yeah. um, essentially you were signing up to say, I'm going to let you track everything that I spend. Right. Um, because there was no other way really for a company to do that apart right. from surveys, which weren't really in vogue. Yeah. Um, and I think as time goes on now with online, there's even that fine line between capturing customer data and stalking. Because yeah. a, a retailer will know exactly what products you're looking at, mm. when you're looking at, and how long you're on that site for. Um, but you'd find it a bit weird, you know, as you get emails or you talk about something and it's in your Facebook feed the next day. But that's what happens, though. I mean, we're almost yeah. used to that now, aren't we? Like, like you've, you've been yeah. looking up, I don't know, your Thai resort, holiday resort, and then you're getting... Absolutely. Yeah. And that and that and that can be of benefit because sometimes mm. you say I, I do want to get recommendations for yeah. my next holiday. Um, mm. Some people feel that well, I, I don't really, you know, I was just looking at it for yeah. whatever reason is. But hundred um, percent, everything we do online is tracked now. Yeah. Um, the question is how companies can best use that data mm. to their benefit, and that's where. Yeah. Um, and often companies have a lot more data than they even realise they do purely yeah. from their customer service channels. Yeah, yeah. Well, it is interesting, the whole online stuff, because, you know, whether there's more and more regulation around privacy that's going to come in, like it's, you know, I think governments and regulators have been playing catch up with all that stuff because it absolutely it just took off so quickly. And um, you can see with the Facebook scandal and yeah. um, things that are going overseas, um, Australia, thankfully, I think the governments um, are stepping in um, mm. with the Privacy Act and the, yeah. the Data Privacy Act with regard to what companies can do with that data. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, bottom line is it can be very beneficial for customers. Mm. Uh, I, as an example, if I'm looking to buy an iPhone, um, I would like that site that I'm searching on to send me a deal on an iPhone the next week. Right. Um, so sometimes it helps. Sometimes yeah. it's a bit of a pain. Yeah, that's right. Okay, so after you were... Doing that at Coles, uh, what was your, was your next job at Telstra after that? Yeah. Or? So the next yeah. job was at Telstra, and, and obviously being such a large uh, place, Telstra, I went through, I started in the marketing area, yeah. then went into billing, then sales yeah. process, yeah. and then most recently the global co uh, contact centers, where really the, the customer focus and customer experience side came through. So those, so is, was that in terms of managing how... What, how staff interact with customers? Or? Absolutely. Yeah. So it was setting out the processes in um, how we should deal with customers. Yeah. Um, I was also, uh, my previous role was the uh, telecommunications industry ombudsman relationship manager. Right. So I was uh, the face of Telstra to the ombudsman and liaising externally to understand um, what are the new regulations that Telstra yeah. need to yeah. comply with, etc. So um, 
it was very interesting because I was able to almost step out of the company mm. and look at it as the regulators do. And so with those, um, uh, the call centers, was it basically in terms of people calling up with problems or for sale or sales inquiries? Generally, or was it? it was it was service. Yeah. Um, from a customer experience perspective, we would look at sales as well to see, um, and this is quite poignant today, but it was where there was a dirty sale, we would call it. So the, the person aligned... The agent just wants to make the sale so they get their commission, but potentially they're selling that customer the wrong product or something that's not fit for purpose. So the customer gets their first bill and then they contact us complaining saying, I didn't know that it was going to cost me this much or I don't really use this product. Um, And that's something that companies now more and more um, are really hammering down on is how we um, give fit for purpose products to the customer. Yeah. So what were the sorts of things that you um you did there? Like like I don't know, can you give us examples of a few things that you did to sort of help improve the customer experience? Yeah, absolutely. So so the first thing was um highlighting the customer data to the business. So it was something that um we had a lot of insight to our customers and we knew how our customers were, yet other parts of the business would continue on their product development mm. uh, without thinking about that side of things. So we would take that data, show it to the product owners and product managers so that when they were delivering, mm. uh, a good example is um, Telstra released the new modem, which was a smart modem. So it has the 4G backup. Yeah. Um, that was developed because we were receiving a lot of complaints that customers were signing up and it was taking too long to get their internet working. Right, right. So they developed something that out of the box you could switch on and you get internet straight away. Right. So that was hitting a direct customer pain point. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And uh, were the call centers, like, are they sort of located uh, here or overseas or? Mostly offshore. So yeah. most of the call centers were in the Philippines, yeah. some in India. Yeah. Um, but with this customer-centric mindset, there were some that we moved back into Australia. So certain cohorts of customers, yeah. um, regional rural customers, for example, who had different um, uh, different types of issues, they were dealt with onshore in Australia oh, right. so that they could be managed uh in, in so, a certain way. So is that, like, in terms of, like, the offshoring of call centers and that, is that, is that I mean, that happened a lot. Has that been reversing it at all or? I think it, I think the trend will move. So as the volume of customers going to call centers decreases yeah. and that's met with a similar increase in online interactions. So instead of calling up, you'll go online and, and raise a service request with the mm. company. Um, all of a sudden, the cost-benefit analysis uh, sort of stacks up to bring them on shore yeah. with lower volume. Right now, because there's such large volume, it's just cheaper to do it offshore, yeah. so that's where they do it. Yeah. Um, but I think we'll see the next few years more and more call centers come back onshore. Yeah, yeah. And there's also now a lot of people, like they try and encourage you to actually have online sort of conversation. I've never quite understood that. Is live that because, chat. Live chat. Is that because like... Um, the person responding is managing a whole lot of them yeah, at once? Yeah, absolutely. So the, the agent that's typing to you has probably got four or five conversations on the go at the one time. Right. So it's purely uh, economies of so scale. Can do, so because while you're typing, he's just dealing with someone else and absolutely. You know, whatever. So they need to be able to sort of switch. That's why often you'll, yeah. you'll type and you won't get a response for 30 right. seconds and right. you'll be like, he's typing to somebody are else. Are they their real <laughs> names when they <laughs> Mostly they are. They are? We had a couple I of funny stories. I quite know that. Because in the Philippines, there there are there are some funny names, yeah, yeah. so we had to sort of uh, change a few of them. That's funny. <laughs> that wouldn't be appropriate, but but, uh, but probably that one of the main things you know when people call up call centers is obviously you know it's getting it gets harder and harder to speak to a human. You know you've got to press this button or that button and absolutely and voicing. 
I mean, and a lot of us find that frustrating. Is that something that you had like lots of complaints about or how? Yeah, so so we did. So there were what we did was we broke the customer's issue down in two parts. So there was the issue that you were actually calling about, which mm. may have been um, my phone's not working or my bill's incorrect. Mm. But then there was a secondary issue of the customer service agent didn't deal with me appropriately. Mm. So it gets you more frustrated. So what businesses are trying to do more and more is – Find out what are the key reasons customers are calling and how can we make it as seamless as possible for someone to get that answer online. Mm. Um, a really good example of that is a late payment fee, for example. You've been a good customer for five yeah, years and yeah. you missed one bill. Yeah. Um, previously, you had to call up and it'll take five minutes on the phone yeah. and uh, escalate it. Now, you go on the app, you click I've got a late payment fee, it looks at your account in real time right. and says, oh, I can see it, you've been a good customer, here you go, we've refunded right, it. Right. So, um Certain things like that um, are making a lot e- more easy for customers. Yeah, yeah, yeah if, it, if it works well. But you've also got those um, the bots as well that sort of do those automatic canned responses. Yeah. Like how, how, how um, I mean, I, when I've used them, I, I sort of tend to find them quite frustrating because, you know, it kind of pretends like there's someone there, but you know there's no one there and yeah. it's like, and then all it does is spit out standard crap, you know. So I, yeah. I, I always can see right through them and it annoys me, but... How have those things been generally? Like, have they generally been successful? So I think there was a big movement to them, you know, a year, two years ago Mm. because artificial intelligence was a buzzword and everyone wanted to get onto it. Some of them are good, but they're they're not there yet. I think they're learning. As an example, we had um, a customer whose name was Paris, but every time she put her name in, it gave her global roaming options when she was just uh, right. writing task question about her bill. Right. <clears throat> the other issue with those is it's very easy to screenshot and put it on social media and all of a sudden the brand damage that it does. Oh, what um, if, if it gives a stuffed up answer? <clears throat> Absolutely. So if it gives a stuffed up, same with live chat, it's become more and more important to give good customer service because I can take a screenshot now, put it on social media and you can't argue with is the that screenshot. What, and people do that? Uh, 100%. Absolutely. If, if you go on a company's social media page, generally it's littered with people um, sort of claiming, I had this bad interaction. Some might say right. over the phone and then it's their word, but yeah, yeah. others will take a screenshot and put it on. Take, it's easy, yeah, yeah. So so you reckon that stuff is it's reversed a bit, that people aren't using that quite as much? Yeah, I think for really, really simple interactions, mm. people will use it, but anything more complex, yeah. um, they'll always prefer to speak to a real person either via live chat or on the phone yeah. so i imagine a company like telstra and then uh you know i've got a huge amounts of data about people i mean yeah you know i mean all they've got all the data of how people are using their phones where they are what Absolutely. they're doing so that's um that's good do they you will they generally use their data for for you know for good or you know to help people or just to try and flog them more stuff so uh, so there's a real push to what's called the omni-channel experience now where if I'm a Telstra customer, I want to be able to go in store, go online or mm. call up and the business know what I want and what mm. I need. So the data can very well help the business yeah. do that. And they can say, we can see that you've had an outage at your house mm. without me having to say it. Right. Um, so the data absolutely can enhance the customer experience because you don't have to keep repeating yourself mm. because they know exactly what's gone on. Yeah. Well, it's funny you say that because one of the most frustrating things I find is if I call up a place and they ask me to plug in my number or my account number and I do all that yeah. and then it gets through to an operator and they ask you the same yeah. questions. 
Like that is actually really frustrating. And, and and it's it's odd that it yeah, that seems so basic. You've just put in your data. Hundred percent, and they ask for that again, and that that's a big bugbear of customers. That's why. Yeah. So we would, um, you might be authenticated with your password mm. or with something, but you should never have to be asked for details that you've just spent yeah. a minute typing in. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, and there is a lot more of a push to self help. So the idea is when you type your number in, it it will look at the system and see is there anything wrong with Ruben's account, mm. um, and give you options to fix that. Sometimes it will be really great because mm. you might say, oh, I was calling about that fee mm, yeah. and click one to get it reversed as opposed yeah. to having to talk to somebody. Other times it gets frustrating. Yeah. One of the ones I actually think works quite well, I was just thinking about the automation, is with Foxtel. Like we've got a Foxtel box at home and a couple of times you know, you'll call up and whatever and literally, you know, just like automatically they'll say, oh, look, I'm going to reset your box or whatever. You don't yeah. even have to speak to a human. And and I've I've done that a few times and it's actually fixed the issue and I thought that was quite cool that it actually yep. you know it does like such a i don't know significant task like that yeah in a way you know without you even absolutely speaking to um and you're happy you've saved time they're happy yeah. because they're not paying somebody yeah. to answer that call and spend 20 minutes troubleshooting yeah um so 100 percent. yeah so i mean obviously the other and we uh, spoke about this briefly uh before but the other types of companies have got huge amounts of data or banks yep obviously they just you know well i mean it's just frightening what sort of data they've got. Have you had any sort of experience with them or any sort of knowledge of, of the banking industry and how they've... Yeah. So I think the Royal Commission Bank obviously has put a real focus on the customer. And I think right now we have the Australian Financial Complaints Authority um, yeah. that's been set up. Um, and it appears that they're really focusing on the idea of doing what's right by the customer not what's technically legal. And mm. there's a big difference because um, businesses might say, oh, but the customer signed the contract. Mm. But if they've signed a contract to financially overcommit themselves, mm. um, then what the complaints authority is doing is saying that's the onus is on the bank to make sure the customer doesn't mm. financially overcommit themselves. Mm. So you can no longer stand behind, oh, but they signed the contract, therefore mm. we're okay. Mm. And I think that's what all financial institutions, um, telcos, uh, and across the the, the broad spectrum mm. of businesses, um, need to make sure that they're just doing what's right for the customer. Mm. It's difficult that I mean, because I mean, I have like a bit of a view of some of that stuff that I feel like in some ways we're moving to a nanny state. You know, people will come yeah. for for borrowing money, for example. People will come and do whatever they can to get a loan to buy the house or the investment property. Uh, and then if it goes wrong, they'll say, oh, look, you know, well, the, the ASIC will say, oh, the banks weren't responsible in terms of assessing yeah. you, know, you and whether or not it was right for you. But it's like, on the other hand, you know, people have got to take their own responsibility. So I wonder if it's if it's moving too far. Yeah, and it's a real fine line. Yeah. And absolutely. And I was of the same opinion that people mm. have to be responsible for their own needs. Mm. Um I think there's sort of two parts to that. Number one, uh, I think some people uh, unfortunately can't be responsible That's for exactly it. That's right. Um, which is where you have the financial hardship programs. Yeah. yeah. And, and so that, that if we put that aside mm. for a minute, um, the other is really we're actually talking about a really small percentage mm. of customers. And if, if we think about the number of customers who interact with the financial institutions, um, the, the AFCA said they had 35,000 complaints in the first six yeah, months. Yeah. So anyone says that that's a huge number. Yeah. But if you think of it in the scheme of things, 
Um, yeah. It's really a small percentage of the total mm, population. Mm, yeah, and you've got to, yeah, as you say, you've got to assume that there are going to be, um, there are always going to be problems. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I think you're right. I think there are people that, ca- that, that, as you say, they're vulnerable. Yep. And they can't do it. And I guess it's kind of a thing where, where, you, where you've got like some kind of uh, product or service, whether it's mobile phone or banking or whatever, that it's almost like, it's an absolute must these days. Certainly, banking is. Well, you'd have to say mobile phone is almost a, almost obligatory for everyone to have one, or pretty much. Yep, yep. Then, when you're in that scene where people don't have a choice other than to interact with a big company, it kind of puts additional responsibility on them. Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, but what about also in terms of you know banks? Um, I don't know, using the data, using all their transactional data. Like, do you have any sort of any sort of view on that or yes i think banks are really going to be caught up in the whole uh consumer data protection because they're mm. not going to be able to sell your financial data mm. um uh, but they can use that data for good so you can see when a customer misses a payment or if um the salary of somebody stops coming into a certain account yeah. so the question is how much do we want the banks to be able to say oh, uh, we can see that you've probably lost your job, mm. therefore we have to reassess your ability to pay right. um, versus uh, I don't want them knowing that information. Yeah. Um, right yeah, now they've yeah. got it. It's how they use it. Yeah. Well, one of the big things that I think get, you know, in the Royal Commission was about um, you know, people taking out insurance that they didn't need. Yep. Uh, and, yeah, in theory, if your income stops, it could analyse and say, listen, do you need this insurance anymore? Potentially, Absolutely. but um, yeah. I mean, look, part of the whole problem, and I've talked about the Royal Commission a lot, but yeah, and obviously it was it was important, and they found some pretty nasty things. But I think it's very similar to what you were saying before about Africa. Like a Royal Commission just focuses on the bad things, right? Yes. It doesn't focus on on what is working. Um, but yeah, I mean, the other thing I guess for consumer is competition as well so i imagine um you know uh, and often saying oh the banks there's not enough competition between them which i don't buy because i reckon there is Mm. quite a bit of competition but certainly um coming from the telecommunication space you know telstra you would i imagine you would have been unique very well aware of competition because telstra at one point had an almost monopoly and then that was just chewed away at sort of over time is that was that um I mean, that sort of happening, was that, I don't know, like a really thing that you were conscious of during your time there? Absolutely. And yeah. that's one of the key reasons why customer experience is so important. Yeah. Because um, there's a quote, there was a Walker Insights study where they said, by 2020, customer experience will overtake price and product mm. as the key brand differentiator. Mm. So what they're saying now is that um, customers will stay with you and you'll be able to acquire customers purely based on your customer experience. Mm. The barriers of entry into industries, particularly telco, now with NBN coming in, mm. um, the banks, you've got zip money, you've got latitude, you've got all these smaller players that really in a few years, why would you need to get a credit card from a bank mm. um, or an Amex? You can, on your phone, use Apple Pay mm. associated with one of these smaller providers. Yeah, it makes um, no difference. Yeah. So how are they going to acquire customers? Mm. It's purely on that experience. Mm. Um Anyone can turn around tomorrow and buy bandwidth off NBN Co mm, and pay mm. the same wholesale price that Telstra and Optus are. Right. So, so why go with 
a big Telstra and Optus over them, it's because you think you're going to get the support that you need if something mm. goes wrong. Mm. And something inevitably does go wrong. Right. That's And you want to know that you're backed up um, and that uh, the experience you're going to get will um, decide which provider you're going to go with. It's interesting you say that anyone can buy bandwidth because what just sort of comes to mind is a company like Kogan, you know, obviously all the, you know, they started off with all their online sort of, uh, you know, um, computer goods yep. or whatever and televisions. And now they move into, you know, insurance, into mobile phones, into, you know, broadband, into everything. Into New Zealand. Yeah. Into <laughs> New Ze- they've moved to New Zealand yeah. as well. Yeah. So it's like a company like that, um, once they've sort of developed their brand, you know, Absolutely. They, they, as you, you know, they just pick it up and badge it and, and it was a very smart play. You, yeah. He had the customer base. He yeah. now says, we're going to be a legitimate challenger to the big players. But if they do that, for example, let's say Kogan, I don't know where they buy their broadband from. I don't know if it's from Telstra Optus or whatever. But who supports it then after that? Like, do they... So their, their arrangement or, on Telco is very interesting. So they're really just the brand. So yeah. they use Vodafone, and yeah. Vodafone does all the technical support. It's, all right. the back end is through Vodafone. Right. Kogan is purely the sales channel. Mm. Um, so they've basically hit a market and said, we've got all these customers buying yeah. product off us. We can now target them with a very cheap mobile phone plan or internet plan. Yeah. Um, and customers now have faith in the Kogan brand. Mm. So they'll say, Why so not literally they just they're just badging it. But then when people call up for support, is it branded Kogan or Vodafone? I believe it's it's branded Kogan, but it's Vodafone customer service. Mm. And a lot and and Telstra has that as well with Boost mm. um, and Belong um, to a lesser degree. Um, uh, Optus have their low cost providers, so. Um, it's almost like your Qantas and Jetstar, right, or, right, or Virgin and Tiger relationship. Right. Um, really, it's the same it's company the same at the back thing. end. It's but just the way they market it. It's just the way they market it. But um, as you say, like, but then obviously there are other sort of companies that will um, buy bandwidth, but they'll then do the service themselves. Like, what's examples of that? Yeah, absolutely. Like? Um, there are there are some really smaller providers. That, yeah, you know, there was one in Perth. Um, Adamnet, I think. Yeah. Um, but you wouldn't even know about them because they would really target a local market. Yeah. Um, and they obviously won't have the support of the big providers, but they might be able to offer it cheaper. Yeah. Their problem is customers now are actually willing to pay a premium for that better customer experience. Mm, interesting. Um, and, and that customer experience, so in some ways, uh, I mean, a big company is at an advantage. Like, is a Telstra at an advantage or at a disadvantage? Because a smaller, more nimble business that just buys the bandwidth and all they focus on is customer experience. You know, right. does that put them at an advantage to Telstra, or is because Telstra or a bank is so big that they can invest tens of millions of dollars in customer experience? What's yeah? So it's who's about, got the edge? Right. So you'd say because they can invest in customer experience, the big providers. Um, probably have an advantage but having said that they've also got very antiquated systems and Mm. it'll take them longer to do things than a small nimble Mm. provider um that's where and using financial institutions as an example um in 90 seconds you can sign up to zip money or latitude and have Mm. approval for a few hundred dollars to spend at half a normal provider you can't do that with commonwealth bank um I, I don't know if you can do anything at 90 seconds in, in mm. for, with one of the big banks. Um, yeah, it's interesting, though. It's a good point because why wouldn't Commonwealth Bank just develop a product like that? 
So I think NAB developed Ubank. Um, right. So they're so they're probably either developing now yeah. sort of challenger brands that can can really target it. But again, Commonwealth have huge overheads. Mm. So someone who's starting up themselves doesn't have. 40,000 mouths to feed when they're yeah. developing a product. And, and they can build it on um, on newer sort of technology. Build it from scratch. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I mean, we've talked largely about sort of big businesses yep. in customer experience, but do you have any sort of insight as to, you know, how it can, you know, smaller businesses? I yeah. mean, I run a financial advice business. I've got sort of 100-odd clients, you know. You think at different times you're doing the right thing. You know, I'm calling them. I'm meeting them a couple of times for review. I'm yeah. sending them emails, giving them a call every now and then. But, I mean, how would someone like me know if I'm really giving – I think I'm giving a good customer experience. Yeah. So I think, you know, my clients are staying with me, but but how do I really know? Yeah, and that's okay. You said that then the client's staying with you. So mm. retention is a lot cheaper than acquisition. Mm. So what you do know is that if your clients are staying with you, then you're giving them good service. Mm. Um, smaller businesses... Or there's inertia. <laughs> correct. Uh, small businesses can go down the, the survey route. You yeah. can you know, send your clients once a year yeah. um, a five-minute survey to fill out. Yeah. Um, but then the key is what you do with that data. So if yeah. your, customers might, your clients might turn around and say, I'd like you to meet with me quarterly instead of half yearly, yeah. for example. Yeah, yeah. Um, You're like, you, shit, I shouldn't have asked that well, question. <laughs> it, right. it, it, it could be that. Um, or what happens then is you say, you know what? All right, so who are my customers? And I have retirees and I have young families mm. and I've and you segment your customers out yeah. and you know, okay, well, the the young ones don't want to hear from me. They yeah. want to know, they want to get a once a year report and that's it. So I don't have to invest that effort. But the retirees, they want to meet quarterly. So yeah. you might say, okay, for those 20 customers, um, I will now implement that. And what happens then is they tell their friend or family um, – how good is that? I'm meeting mm. with my financial planner quarterly mm. now. And the other one goes, oh, crap, I'm only meeting yearly with mine. Yeah. And all of a sudden, your brand is built and you will acquire more customers because mm. they become your brand reps. Um, yeah. And that's the key for, for a tradie, for anybody. Um, really, if you're going to pay $100 for, for an electrician to come to a site visit or $110, you'd rather pay 110 for the one that your friend tells you they were fantastic and they mm. took away this and they did. that value added service that you can give in a small business um, really it's that white glove approach and I think you need to understand who your customers are and what they want mm. um, which is something that a lot of companies are trying to move to as opposed to saying I think it would be really good to do this mm. well well, let's see if the customers even want it because you might do right. something that they don't really want that's right and that's I think that's probably where some startups I mean, I think now people know before you start anything up, you know, you really got to do good customer research. But there's no point just sitting there thinking, this is what I think they want, because Absolutely. often you're a, you're a very bad judge of it. On those surveys, I mean, I, places, you know, and I always find this irritating as well. Like, you know, when you, you know, I, I call an insurance company for a client and then they ask me, you know, so they ask me five questions. How likely are you to refer Recommend, us and yeah. all that kind of stuff? I hate that. All that <laughs> stuff. Like it, it annoys me no end. Yeah. But do people do people do it? Yeah, the, the response rate is generally between sort of eight and ten percent for those surveys. Right. So that's considered um, okay. I have seen companies um, sounds getting low, a twenty percent. Well, depends how many you're sending out. That's right. Um, and I suppose if it's more personalised, and and if you say you so you got a hundred clients, and if you actually dear. 
so and so it's personalized you'll feel more invested in, yeah, in yeah. actually giving an honest response but those i'm saying the mass companies like like i don't know t- tell us like I, I i i don't know if tell us but i'm pretty sure they do yeah after you've spoken to someone yeah. they ask you to rate the call and all that stuff absolutely is that response rate about eight to ten percent so we actually get um about a 20 or well say we i'm not a telstra anymore but um telstra would get a about a 20 percent response rate on their episode surveys. So that's a survey. Every If you buy something, mm. you'll get a survey. If you call up about a billing issue, you'll get a survey. And then what they have is a strategic survey that just says, basically, overall from your experience, and it's generally just a uh, a random survey. You might not have spoken to Telstra for, for a year. Um, the response rate will be lower on those. Yeah, so what, they'll yeah. just send you out an email or... Yep, random email. Some yeah. company, it's it's given to an external company, so they might yeah, yeah. Um, decide to call you or email or right, one of the right, call you from like an undisclosed number and stuff. Yeah, that it comes spam but, call. N- yeah, careful. but now it's like now I notice with the phone calls, like no one ever, like people don't have their number, like they don't have it as a hidden number anymore because they know you won't answer it. Have so you it noticed comes that? Up. So it Although, comes up as their number. I've noticed on my phone now that the Google phone, it actually says suspected spam call. Does it really? So it comes up in red. So you uh, know when it's the telemarketer calling you. So you yeah, can just reject yeah. it. I just don't answer anyone that's not in my <laughs> phone book. Um, yeah, so uh, so what are you um, So what are you doing now? So you finished up at Telstra. So tell us a little bit about what you're... Yeah, what you're doing now, or why yeah. did you why did you stop at Telstra, or what, what sort of? So I was actually yeah. um, actually in Israel for the last seven months. Yeah, uh, decided to give the kids a bit of an experience and put yeah. them in school over there. And, and I, I was working for Telstra over there, and I stopped sort of after about three months to help startups with their customer service. Oh yeah. Um, and I just found it uh, sort of really exhilarating to help smaller companies um, really enhance their brand reputation. Mm. Um, and often uh, what was frustrating was. Companies would concentrate on developing the best, smartest, coolest technology product, but forget that there was a customer at the end of the game. Mm. So one of the companies I helped, um, they said, oh, customers paid a subscription. I said, what happens if something goes wrong and a customer contacts you? And they said, oh, um, we'll get back to them in 10 business days. And I said, and what happens between that? Oh, nothing. We'll just tell them we're working on Mm. it after 10. I said, well, that customer now goes on social media, which makes Mm. it so important, this issue, Mm. saying don't use this service because they don't get back to you. Mm. Um, and all of a sudden, all the good work, all the goodwill you've put in to get that customer is for nothing. Mm. Um, so I think right now the the movement of a lot of smaller companies to digital really opens up, opens themselves up to a lot more customer feedback that they never had to mm. deal with before, mm. um, which makes it really critically important to say, what am I going to do with that mm. data and how am I going to engage my customers better mm. um, to ensure that I get repeat business? Uh, I spoke before about retention over acquisition. Mm. Good customers also spend more with you if mm. they're, they're doing repeat business. Um, bad customers will tell more people about their interaction. Yeah. So, uh, sorry, not bad customers. Customers who've had a bad experience will tell more people uh, about So the it. customer experience, yeah. That should be like an absolute fundamental part of when you start a business. Like it, 100%. Yeah, yeah. But you're saying sometimes people, it's a bit of an afterthought for people. Is that what you're... Yeah. I, th- yeah. I think often, unfortunately, it's a bit of an afterthought because you're so constant, much concentrating on what mm. you're delivering yeah. um, that you do forget. And you don't think anything's ever going to go wrong with your product. You think, I'm going to develop right. the perfect system, a perfect product or perfect service. Um, inevitably, something will go wrong. Mm. Hopefully, not often. But it's 
how you recover that mm. customer that counts a lot more mm. than anything else you do because that's when customers are going to go tell their friends and family mm. and other people these guys were fantastic because something went wrong, but they fixed it in 24 hours. It was amazing. Does this um, become something, like it becomes more difficult as companies grow? Like because when you're yeah. small, like I think, I mean, you know, I've got my 100 clients or whatever, like I can service them pretty well. Yep. You grow to 200, 500, you've got to have a lot more systems in place. Absolutely. So so does this is this something that, that sort of breaks sometimes as companies get bigger? It breaks, but I think you can you can weather that storm. And I think um, you got you, you would move from the white glove approach where I can handle all the customers mm. to a point where if something goes wrong, there's only one of you or there's only a few of you. You can't fight fires all the time. So it's a matter mm. of um, what we did at Telstra was we changed the um, – resolution teams sort of values instead of just resolve that customer's issue but restore the customer's faith in the brand Mm. so go above and beyond fix the issue then find out why it occurred and make sure it doesn't happen again Mm. um and by doing that customers get faith and and from a financial um services standpoint it might be um uh, whatever happens if a trade didn't go through or something Mm. didn't Mm. happen Mm. What's going to happen for that customer to know that I still have faith in the brand and I can tell people that things were resolved very quickly? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting, and uh, but but on the other hand, that kind of thing requires investment in people and time and expense, doesn't it? Uh, absolutely. So, so it's um, because, as you yeah because any of that is sort of you know man hours that are dealing with that's probably that's expensive. It, it is, but it? Yeah. done properly, if you see. These are the top five reasons people are coming back to me with questions. It might be as simple as updating the FAQs on your website. Mm. Um, it might be uh, as simple as sending notices out to customers. Um, it, it, as an example, let's say you send out an annual report in mm. November, but every October you get customers calling you saying, when's the annual report coming out? Well, if you did something as simple as put it on the website or in October, you had the voice message on your phone mm. while the hold music is, our annual report will be, all of a sudden, you you limit that exposure and those customers needing mm. to contact you and you wasting your time answering those yeah, questions. Yeah, so it's about, um, it's about systems. So um, so you were doing that for a while in Israel with startups. Yep. So wh- when did you come back to Australia? How long uh, ago? About seven weeks ago. Seven weeks ago. Oh, wow. So it's pretty um, yeah, soon. Pretty so. Soon. What are you looking to do now? So now I'm, I'm looking to help companies develop their customer service frameworks yeah. um, to drive value from customer insights. Mm-hmm. So to understand what do my customers want and uh, how can I best um, deliver that to them and increase my brand awareness at the same time. Yeah. And our, um, what sort of... So, so you think you're going to stay in that consultant type role, or are you going to go and look for another role in a in a bigger company, or you're not sure at this stage? Um, not sure at this stage. I think I enjoy consultancy. I enjoy yeah. um, helping uh, multiple businesses out. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if the right role came along, absolutely. Yeah. But uh, I'm very passionate about the customer, and whatever it is, yeah. it would have to be something that delivers value yeah. to the customer. Um, and th- there's a lot of that going on now, where where companies are becoming more customer-centric um, mm. but just need that help in how do we do that? What frameworks and governance mechanisms do we need to implement to actually do that? Mm-hmm. Interesting. And what um, what type of businesses do you think would – I mean, is it 
Is it, is it like literally every business or the particular businesses that you'd have a um, more of an expertise in working with? I think particularly the medium to large enterprise would yeah. be the ones where my expertise is. I mm. think smaller businesses could absolutely benefit in thinking about the customer mm. and understanding what can I do and maybe getting some mm. help with, okay, well, I've, I've never really, I've been in business for 10 years, but I've never really asked my customers what do they expect or what yeah. do they want. Yeah. Um, Absolutely, that's something I can help with. Yeah, um, yeah, but your expert, as but, you say, yeah. given your experience, is more with, uh, with larger businesses. Yeah, absolutely. and I guess it's also larger businesses, bigger customer base. It's just um, you can get more of a feeling. For, I mean, because you've got so much more data to work with, it kind of makes it a bit easier, doesn't it? As you've absolutely. got like a, as you've got like a bigger, um, bigger pool, yeah. a bigger a bigger pool um, to deal with. Um, very good. So, um, and uh, what else? Uh, I do want to move on to sort of some, some of your tips soon, but I don't want to go too quickly to that. I wanted to know if there's anything else maybe that we haven't quite covered today um, that, yeah. that you wanted to raise. I think, I think it's more uh, how customers deal with customers when they – how companies deal with customers when they do have that issue. Yeah. And I, and I think um, studies have shown that the – empathy and mm. and how often have you called a company and they sort of question you did that really happen mm. no there must be something wrong um studies have actually shown that customers want an apology more than they actually want a credit mm. they want the business to acknowledge um yes we're very sorry this happened yeah. we can assure you it won't happen again um just so they've got that faith in the brand mm. it, it's not all often companies think oh complainants are just troublemakers um well at the end of the day for every person that complains there's nine that don't that will just switch providers Mm. so we need to embrace those complaints as a gift and say that customer is giving you a second chance Mm, they don't have to they could very easily just move uh and now you can you can switch mortgages in one day Mm. you can change telcos in one hour Mm. um you're not obliged to give that uh, company a second chance. But mm. if you do, you want to know that it's being embraced. Yes, that's interesting. So, um, yeah, complaints are actually, rather than being a bad thing, they're, uh, they give yeah. you insight into customers. Absolutely. Because as you say, you know, if one customer is complaining about it, there are probably a whole lot of others that are... Um, yeah, it's just tip of the com- iceberg. And do you think, do you think uh, companies have gotten better in dealing with that? Like, they're more aware of that... I, I no. think they're on the journey. Yeah. I think there's work to be done. Um, I think most companies acknowledge that it needs to be done, mm. uh, but I don't think they're there yet. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, now, Yoni, we're coming towards the end of the show, but I always like to ask my uh, uh, my guests for their top three tips in the area of their expertise. And I guess what we've been talking about, customer experience, it kind of um, – yeah, the good thing about it is, as we've discussed, it applies to all businesses, doesn't it? Really yeah. small, the one-man band, you know, to, as, as it, just as important as it is for the big businesses, the big banks and telcos. So hope, I'm hoping you can give us some uh, insight as to what 
you know, what is good for any types of businesses. So uh, we discussed that I'd like you to give me your uh, top three business, top three tips for businesses uh, that are looking to enhance their customer experience. Yeah, absolutely. So I think, um, as I sort of mentioned earlier, the first one is really to embrace customer feedback. Um, so if customer calls you to complain or to give you feedback, really take that on board, listen, understand it is probably um, a resemblance of a bigger issue mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and just... Uh, do what you can for that customer and, and leverage uh, that data. Um, I think uh, the second one would be to keep aligned to the customer and ensure that all changes or initiatives that you're doing are hitting an actual customer pain point mm-hmm. as opposed to just doing things for the sake of it. And the third is really know your customer. Um, know your customer personas, whether you have retirees or mm. young people or middle age. Know your customer and put yourself in your customer's shoes um, and that's where that key empathy component comes in. So so those, I think, would be the top three. Terrific. And Yoni, uh, I've always asked people where they can find uh, more about you, but I generally know what that is. Look look you up on LinkedIn. LinkedIn. Yoni Pollock. <laughs> Do you have a, uh, a website, yonipollock.com or anything like that? No, working on that. No <laughs> website as yet. LinkedIn's the, LinkedIn's the uh I think the LinkedIn is now. probably the easiest uh, easiest place to find people. All right, Yoni, look, thank you very much for coming in today. And uh, good luck with your, um, you know, with this, that launch of your consultancy or, or finding the new role, whatever, it, or maybe it's going to be a bit of both, bit who of both. knows. <laughs> um, but whatever it is, welcome back to Australia. <laughs> Thank you. And uh, yeah, wishing you all the very best. Thanks for coming in. Thanks, Ruben. All right. Well, thanks everybody for listening. This, uh, this has been, uh, I think, our 80 or 81st episode of the Finance Hour. Uh, as I said, just jump onto iTunes, leave us a rate and review. That'll mean that we uh, can reach as many people as possible. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next time.